Welcome to Frost Sessions, the Frost School of Music's official podcast. On this week's episode, award-winning and legendary tubist Dr. Aaron Tyndall interviews University of Miami swim coach and U.S. Olympian swim team manager, Coach Andy Kershaw. Prepare to dive into a spirited conversation about the surprising similarities between the world of athletes and musicians, the importance of discipline in practice and performance, and how champions are made in this week's exciting episode. Thank you so much for joining us today, and remember to stay tuned to Frost Sessions. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. Aaron Tyndall. I'm from the Frost School of Music. This is my sixth year as a professor of tuba and euphonium, um, and I'd like to introduce our guest here. This is Coach Andy Kershaw, who um, is a world-famous swim coach, and we are pleased to have him here at the University of Miami with us. Um, I'll, I'll let him in, introduce himself here and a little bit of his program, but I think that we're in for um, a really unique experience as we kind of draw the parallel between um, some of our universes and uh, what we're after with, with students and working at, at such a great university that exemplifies excellence and innovation in everything that we do. Thank you, Aaron. Yeah, I'm honored to be here and uh, really appreciative. Really, uh, I, lo I love music, have a lot of respect for what you guys do. I do think there's a lot of parallels. Um, and uh, so ex excited to dive into that. I'm uh, as a little bit of an introduction in my eighth year here. Uh, I'm proud to be a Kane and have, have been blessed to, to have some world-class experience, but um, I'm just super excited to, to be able to, to do it here at Miami and, and work with the people here. Right. A place where you can swim year-round outdoors, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh, one of the few and something that when I f I'm from Ohio originally. Okay. And so um, when I first came here, I, I told myself not to ever take the views and the, the environment that we have for granted. Right, right. Well, I, I'm a Michigan boy, so okay, you know, we... I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you're from Ohio, but... <laughs> But yep. I totally understand about being able to be outside, you know, 365, you know, 24-7 and not taking that for granted and the amount of sunshine and the, the exposure to such a great element that we get to experience, you know, here Absolutely. in Florida. So, yeah, cool. Well, I just want to, I'll start the podcast out by saying, you know, it's always um, encouraging because when... You know, we're waking up early. You know, what we think is early is the tuba studio, tuba and euphonium studio. We get up and we warm up most mornings and we start at 6.30 or 6.45, you know. So if you hear some low rumbles across the, um, let me think, south uh, west side of, of the campus, you know, yep. you'll probably hear the tubas warming up. But we already see the swim team. They beat us out there. They're out there. Um, warming up and working out together and they're already in the pool before us so um, I think they're they're right there it's a little bit of a parallel reality that we share you know that we're up at the crack of dawn most days throughout the week uh, before the rest of the campus you know so um, can you share with us uh, about why you guys start that early in the morning you know it's um, a lot of it has to do with just simple logistics uh, you know there's student athletes obviously so uh, primary reason they're here is to go to class. And we have a sport where it's, it's just a, a lot of hours training, uh, similar, I'm sure, to, to music that we can get into. Um, and the logistics of training, we, most days we train twice a, during the day. And so the logistics of getting in one of those practices before classes begin um, and giving them an opportunity to refuel their bodies once that practice ends just logistically kind of makes a requirement that that we go that early in the morning right right so uh, right. you know physiologically i think a lot of, of sports scientists would look at at that and say you know that certainly is a risk uh, especially for a student athlete who's staying up late at night sometimes to to get studying in so it really requires a lot of of discipline on their end a lot of time management skills on their end um, because it, that sleep is, is super important. Um, and, you know, if we could arrange it so that classes started at a different time, then, you know, we would probably do that. But we got to we got to work around the class. And so that's why we start so early. Right. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a similar thing, you know, in my studio, I'm, I'm always encouraging my guys to get their fundamentals done. Think about, you know, the, uh, the physiological aspects of playing their instrument, you know, and breathing every day and all of the kinesthetic things that go into playing and how and what and why we do certain things before they ever go to class, you know, and then they have that time throughout their class um, to be thinking about those things and then kind of go into this deficiency session, you know, um, we can talk a little about how we maybe schedule our practice sessions for, for our students here in a second, but, um, you know, I, I would love to know, you know, like what, what are the, what are some of the first things that you're trying to get your students to focus in on before they ever hit the water? A big part of it for us is waking up their muscle chains and connecting uh, different muscle chains, making sure that that the, the joints are getting lubricated, getting some fire in them, uh, some heat in them so that uh, when we dive in, you know, I, I was once told that, that humans are not really made to swim. We have learned to swim. And huh. so, uh, you know, hitting the water that early in the morning and if, if we just jumped right into it, certainly could present some risk of injury. So uh, yeah, before we hit the water, they're they're coming on deck and, and taking that ownership to to come on the pool deck and, and do certain warm-up exercises we have we give them a general prescribed warm-up um, set of exercises and then some of them have some adapted exercises that they do depending on their needs right you know so i mean some mornings you know i'll get there on campus um early you know and i'll have coffee out on the deck uh before my guys show up and I'll notice that everybody's out kind of stretching together or you guys do some, some sort of breathing exercises as well, right? Um, they don't do a ton of, of breathing exercises. It's certainly something that we could do uh, that would benefit them. Um, it's, it's primarily stretching and uh, rolling out. It, it's mostly muscular and, okay. and joint. But yep. there is a lot of, of value to breathing exercises that we, we could could do as well. Sure. Yeah. I mean that that's I mean that's very similar how we start our day, you know, with stretching out our shoulders and our upper torso and you know, reaching up and, and blowing out, you know, inhale and exhale um, through some different patterns. You know, we'll inhale for four and out for four and in for four and out for eight and just getting our lungs, you know, warmed up for for the amount of air that we move, you know, most Tuba players are probably bigger specimens, you know, of, of the male race. We have a few females that, um, you know, we're, we're, I'm trying to always, you know, with my female uh, students, I'm always trying to maximize their air capacity. Same thing with my male students, you know, so getting that um, air warmed up and together and collectively uh, working efficiently, you know, is a primary focus before we ever make a sound on our instrument, you know, especially with, with the huge uh, instruments that we play. You know, and, um, you know, so we're, I think that that's a, that's kind of a similar, you know, reality that we have, you know, in the way that uh, we approach uh, getting into our fundamentals, kind of leading into, into our, 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 our day, you know. In, in the environment that we're in, obviously, both in the academic environment where, you know, they're all, they all have class, classes as part of their day as well. Do you have certain things that you would would love to dive into more or, you know, work on more that you kind of have to leave for them on their own? Because um, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, you know, I would we would love to be able to do the breathing exercises and the stretching and the rolling. And but, you know, ultimately, we, we kind of have to select what what are the top things for us to address and then, you know, advise them on other things they can do. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. Absolutely. You know, I mean, every student, I'm sure that you see this as well with all of your athletes that come in, everybody comes in at a different place, you know, a different starting place. You know, they're all trying to get to the same place, you know, ultimately as a professional for um, as an athlete, you know, with the accolades and accomplishments that they're trying to, trying to earn and achieve. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's only so much that you can do with everybody as a group and then individually. So I try to tailor the way that we work on our warm up um, together as a group, you know, with their certain metronome markings, you know, so we'll have different tempos that are selected for 
um, doing long tones or flexibilities or range studies or fingering studies, um, you know, or dy dynamic studies. And it might not fit everybody in the entire group, but every week I'm trying to show them a different uh, level of the bar that's expected uh, for them to hit, you know, or I'll be, I'll be demonstrating first um, and then everybody plays along with that exercise, um, you know, or I'll go around the room, you play it, 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 you know, and that takes 30 seconds to do to go around the room and play the first um, repetition of whatever exercise that we're doing in this warm up routine packet um, that I've created, you know, it's called like only at the U, you know, Aaron Tindall's warm up packet. It's pretty intense. It's 70 pages of exercises. Wow. And of course, we can't, we cannot get through everything, you know, so. Um, we'll go through that, and that kind of gives me an idea of where everybody is individually and everybody is as a group. But I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, as a mentor, um, you know, I don't know if you see things this way, but as a mentor, I'm trying to teach my students how to teach themselves, Absolutely. right? How to evaluate themselves, how to be um, kind of detached from the person that they see on the recording device, you know? We record a lot. You know, my mantra is record, listen fix record listen fix and i don't know if you guys are videotaping yourselves or recording you know I'm, I, I know you're recording your stats um you know i've got a nephew up in michigan he holds a couple state uh, records he's um a uh, a junior in high school you know so i'm a little familiar with the rigor involved and there's always a stopwatch there right Absolutely. and they're always timing their strokes you know um you know and their turnover time and um, you know, doing freestyle uh, type of swimming, stuff like that. So I'd love to hear you like talk about, you know, how, how do you evaluate a group of people and then individuals um, and how do you kind of teach them to teach themselves? Because I think there's some parallels between our programs here. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll go back and say, I, I'm impressed that, that you're able to lead them and, and demonstrate for them. If, if I was the one in there <laughs> demonstrating for, for our women, we'd be a really slow team. So uh, <laughs> kudos to you. But yeah, we, um, you know, a lot of it is trying to educate them on the process. Yeah. Swimming is, a, or I believe a lot of that is what will take them to the next level. Right. You know, swimming is a, is, it's a very, can be a very workers sport where you can just, get in and be told what to do and do it and do it. And you can do it fairly thoughtlessly and reach a pretty good level. Right. And there certainly there are some cases where you can do it that way and reach a really high level. But I think that almost comes, comes with a little bit of, of just natural talent. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if you're most people, you reach that level and then it becomes, okay, you've already worked about as hard as anyone can work. So in order to continue improving, we have to, we have to really start fine tuning and, and you have to really start taking a lot of ownership in some of these other things that you can, can invest in and, and improve on to continue seeing performance improvement. Right. That, I mean, that, that's so encouraging to hear you say that. I mean, a big phrase that I use with just about every freshman during their first or sometimes I say it until their second week of school. I say, OK, you know, fill in the blank, whatever their name is. Your natural talent has ran out. You know, I'm calling your bluff on, you know, all these different elements. This is about as good as you can. You know, I'll have them play whatever it is that we're working on. Um, you know, maybe it's their working on their register, you know, trying to get five octaves or, um, and all they have is three. And suddenly they realize that a professional tuba player has to play five octaves. You know, they have to be able to play every note at eight different dynamic markings, every note at eight different articulation markings. You know, you start adding up the math, um, you know, it's like 3,680 different um, ways to do something. You know, and I liken it to, to having a crayon box you know, if, if what we're doing is entering a coloring competition and a professional owns 64 Crayola crayons, am I saying that like a Midwestern crayons? crayons? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. You're following me. All right. Absolutely. You know, you know and, and they come to college and they've got eight, you know, or 16 
or, you know, and, and what are we going to do to shore up these deficiencies or speed up, you know, maybe in the swimming world, speed up our times, you know? So what are some of the things um, that you can do to help a, help a successful uh, athlete speed up their, um, or, or speed or, or get, become more efficient with their, um, with, with their, you know, maneuvers or with their um, abilities in the pool. What are some of the, you, you know, I think, um, you know, as you said, they are, they're all coming in as a, I love that analogy, the, the package of, of crayons or crayons. Um, <laughs> but you know, they're all coming in with like a, a different combination of colors. Right. You know, some have the, the fire engine red brick and others have, you know, a different red. Um, right. And so working within, within their, their puzzle and mm -hmm. trying to figure out where is this person coming in and what are the things that, that they can improve on or the things that they haven't touched on yet um, to, to really maximize that improvement. You know, it's one of the things that, that I will say to them often is imagine that we can, can divide your, yourself into two people. Hmm. And per, person A is the person who has already achieved everything you've achieved. Person B is the person who's now starting this, this next year, this next season. And at the end of this, this season, imagine that person A and person B are going to be having a, a discussion about and you know person b is going to be saying well i worked really hard this year i'm sure that i'm going to go faster than you went person a i said well if if you own what you were as person a person a is going to be have a pretty passionate argument that they worked pretty hard and it's going to be pretty hard to to outwork right. them and outdo them so you know you got to think through okay what what are the, the without a doubt arguments that you're going to have as person B to win that argument without a doubt over your previous self? Um, that's going to convince you and yourself and everyone else that there is no question you're going to go faster this year. Um, and, you know, I think every season that could be a different thing. Um, certainly there are seasons where they could look at, back at themselves and say, I didn't really work that hard that year. I was lucky to get the results. Okay, so it could just be hard work. But, right. you know, we, we try to focus a lot more on the, the, the elite side of it. So I, you know, looking at like stroke rate and stroke tempo, or, or sorry, stroke, stroke tempo for us, and then like distance per stroke, stroke efficiency, just those two factors alone a small improvement can have an enormous impact on, on their ultimate performance. Right. So, so ultimately we're trying to figure out the ways to improve those two little pieces just a little bit. Right. And then when that happens over the course of an entire race, that can have a huge impact. Right. I mean, that, that, that's so, so cool to hear you say that because, you know, in my studio, I'm always telling my students, you know, all I care about as your teacher is that you just become that much better than you were the day before. And then the next day, just a little bit better than that. You know, as long as you become a little bit better at what you were doing than you were the day before, that defines success for me as your teacher, you know? And we kind of look at, you know, um, goals, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Even with athletes, you know, working with a coach, you got to make sure that it's a, that it's a good fit you know, that you get along with the student and they get along with the teacher because you're on this journey together. Absolutely. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of like a marriage in some ways, you know, the worst marriages in the world fail because that level of expectation, you know, uh, wasn't communicated, you know, appropriately, or um, you had different expectations out of each other, you know, as a, as a teacher and a student, you know, and I've seen and been through some of that with some students that I thought were really, really, um, maybe self-motivated and they expected me to motivate them the most, you know? So 
there's a book that I have my students read. Um, everybody that comes to my studio reads it at some point. It's by Daniel Coyle called The Talent Code. I'm not sure yep. if, you've, have you, if you've heard of it. Okay. I so have heard talk- of it. I, I haven't read the entire thing, but I have heard of it and have read yeah. some of it. Right. And he talks about, you know, and the innate ability to keep that ignition switch on. You know, when you face a failure or you face a setback or, you know, we get into, you know, what I call like a long grinding, um, you know, period of your life or of your career where you just you don't you don't feel the, um, the success rate and whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish that you hang in there tough. And, you know, nobody's turning off your light switch for your motivation. Because at the end of the day, we're not in their um, practice room with them. You know, we're trying to teach them to be uh, self-critical and to evaluate themselves, um, but at the same time, stay motivated all by themselves, you know? And, uh, you know, so I'm curious to know, like your approach on on those kind of uh, self-ridden issues, maybe that you you experience with your athletes. You know, one of the things that we're fortunate to have is the, the numbers, as you kind of referenced. And for us, you know, we can put so many numbers to so many things and it, it's very quantifiable. 50 meters is 50 meters, whether you're doing it when you're 14 or 22, it's right. 50 meters is 50 meters, whether you're doing it in Miami or you're doing it in Sweden. Right. Um, and, and so we, uh, one of the things that we, we can see, if you look at swimming trends, and, and this is true swimmer after swimmer after swimmer, there are periods of, of sharp improvement, and then there are periods of what appear to be plateaus. So for, for us, it's largely driven on what, what we refer to as their best time. And, and you'll hear swimmers oftentimes say, well, you know, I added three to my best time. I added three seconds that time that I raced it. I was three seconds slower than my best time. And one of the things that, that I will point out to them, if they do feel like they're getting into a little bit of a rut and, you know, I, I maybe sense that they're starting to get a little too discouraged is every swimmer goes through those plateaus. But what we, what we look for is during the plateaus that they're swims that are not their fastest that those are getting closer to their, there's less variance between their fastest time and and their times that are not their fastest or that we're not quite as prepared to go as fast. Uh, When when that variance starts to shrink, that typically is when we're about to see another big improvement zone. Do you ever find that you're correcting um, maybe a really talented student that comes in, maybe they're their fundamental, you know, maybe it's it's the way that they, you know, bend their elbow or their wrist cuts back into the water, or um, maybe it's lowering, you know, the wake level in their lane or whatever it is, you know, and they might feel like they take two or three steps back to eventually get, you know, one or two steps ahead of where they were at, because I get that all the time, you know, I get a really talented student and they, they get one or two shots to really impress you. Right. And they want to come to the to the U because it's tuba U, right? And everybody wants to be there part of the studio and you take the best students to come and, and join the crew. And then you get this talented student, you're like, Oh, we're gonna to have to, you know, readjust this embouchure or you smile as you go higher and that's stretching the lips out, or you know, suddenly you cut their their range, you know, they have a four octave range and now they've only got a three octave range or a two octave range, or they used to be able to play this um, difficult uh, repertoire in literature um, to a certain level, but now they physically can't play that and they've got to take a step back and do the program that I set them out on, you know? So um, how do you deal with, with that struggle with setting the athlete back a couple of steps? And, and that can be a, a risky, risky time as a, as sure. a teacher, as a coach, right? Uh, right? So, yeah, I think, you know, for us, we're always trying to, to make those those changes and I would say a very minute kind of incremental way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen enough swimmers achieve at a really high level that are not doing it the quote unquote textbook way. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe their technique is slightly different, but it's something that works for them. Right. And you know, it might be something that has to do with their muscular balance or their flexibility or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so 
you know, we, we try to make those changes pretty small and really spend some time evaluating. And, and you know, there are some that, that we're pretty confident in that if they can take the time to make this change, if it is going to take a few steps back, eventually they're going to have to, to figure out how to do that in order to really get to the, that next level. Right. But then, then there are other changes where, you know, it's a little bit more of an experimentation Mm -hmm. And we'll try it and, and then use our coaching eyes and, and the stopwatch. But I would say more so the coaching eye, because like you say, the stopwatch, it could take them, they could go slower in that mm -hmm. initial phase of changing. Right. And so just really looking at, are they going to be able to, to master this from a, a muscular standpoint? Um, and is it worth, is it worth doing that? doing for the long for the long term right exactly yeah. exactly yeah i mean it, it's the same same type of thing you know um for instance i mean just talk about i mean i'll tell you through this period of covid there's no concerts so i'm kind of in a dead period and i felt my teeth shifting um right and they've been shifting for a little bit over the last two years and i was losing some of the flexibility in my mid-register and stuff so I've been doing Invisalign for the last, um, you know, I've got clear braces on right now and I'm nearing the end of my, my time and it set me back a couple steps, but to ultimately get me, get me forward, you know, it was something that I was willing to do. Um, you know, so I think, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't go that drastic with all of my students say, so you've got to get your teeth done, but you know, I mean, there are certain ways that you can play, um, the instrument that are only going to be efficient for so long, you know, or, having a long-term career, you know, if you're, if I'm going to play and teach for another 30 years, those were things that I knew that I had to, to seriously invest in, you know, and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, it sounds like we're a little similar in our approach of kind of like having a cookie cutter model that we want our studios or our program to follow, but yet being able to kind of tailor, um, you know, a certain approach for that, for that special student, you know, that has, you know, such a, such a unique ability. And that's the reason they're at the U um, working with us. You know, that, that's the hard thing for me as a teacher is taking my cookie cutter top down approach and then specializing something uh, for that unique student. Absolutely. And, and honestly, that's as a coach, that's one of my favorite things is trying to blend that in and, and almost make it so no one notices right. you know, that, that everyone feels like, there's an equal amount of this program is the program mm -hmm. and there's little pieces of it that are for me. And, you know, I, I know for our team, they, they each really enjoy that, that feeling of some of this, something in here is specifically for me mm -hmm. and I'm part of the overall program and, yeah. and, by having it just a little tailored towards me, or you know, maybe maybe this practice I wasn't you know I, I wasn't necessarily tailored towards me, but I know that two practices ago, that was really thought through from my my perspective. Right. You know, having that that excitement of the tailored to part, but also the pride in can, being part of the bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, is yep. a, uh, certainly a, a huge part of it. And then, you know, the other thing that, that we have done that I don't, I doubt that many of them really realize is we tailor the, the program based on the team makeup. You know, sometimes we're, we're very sprint heavy. And so the program, the overall program might be a little more sprint oriented. Then there are other times when you know, we're, we're very distance heavy. And so then the overall program might be a little more distance oriented. Right. That sounds like us, you know, I mean, there are times, you know, like uh, the International Tube Euphonium Association, you know, they have a conference every two years and then all the solo competitions or the mock auditions or the jazz competitions or whatever it is. So the whole focus of what the studio is working on comes up, you know, or then the big orchestra audition comes up and then everybody's playing all the orchestral excerpts, you know, so we need a different approach, um, maybe even in our warm-up session, um, tailored kind of to, to suit, you know, what it is that's coming up that we're after that we're trying to accomplish and win. Um, 
you know, for the students. I mean, that, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'd love to kind of transition, you know, to how maybe you view the swimming pool as like a performance stage, because I'm always telling my students, if you wait till the day that you get on that stage um, to raise your level of expectation of yourself just that much more, you put that much more pressure on yourself and then suddenly you're not able to control um, certain elements that have came into your orbit. Um, you know, you, you, haven't, you haven't practiced controlling those things because you raise the level of expectation of yourself on that day. So, you know, I'm always telling my students, you've got to keep this level of expectation of yourself um, incredibly high. And I give them a list of 10 things to listen for. You know, the evenness of their sound, the fronts of their notes, the releases of their notes, the lengths of their notes, the shapes of their notes, time, rhythm, and pitch, asking themselves if it's smooth and cohesive musically, and then number 10, does their musical line have sweep, line, and drive? Um, so I'm trying to give them these elements to kind of think about throughout the day in their practice sessions and to, you know, when they're recording themselves and a way to kind of uh, levitate their general level of expectation of what they expect to come out of their bell at any given time so that it's not such a, um, a surge of of uh, emotions and anxiety on the day of the actual competition or the audition when it really comes you know you get one shot when it comes down so how do you how do you get your swimming pool you know to be that uh, performance stage like we're trying to get our uh, practice room to be the stage you know for our students i'd love to hear your thoughts on that absolutely i'm happy to share you know one of the things that that as you were talking though gave me great respect for the almost that from my viewpoint the abstractness of what you guys are are evaluating uh, because you know it's it's a lot based on what are you hearing and what are other people hearing from again from my my layman's uh, <laughs> interpretation of what you're saying you know for for us i almost wonder if there would be times that there would be value to turning the clock off hmm. and requiring them to okay was that better what were you better at this was right. that faster because they rely on the clock maybe too right. much right in that regard right. but certainly this the stage question and, and that topic that's something that we honestly that we battle and you know our sport is such a a grinding sport that it is really easy to lose that appreciation for okay i'm back on the pool deck it's dark out it's six in the morning and i'm tired and i'm getting in to do this practice am i treating it like my performance stage right yeah and we 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 as coaches try to work hard to remind them and to try to create the right environment when you know we have practices where they can can turn off and it's more just about the the aerobic the building right. the aerobic part of it where they don't they shouldn't be in in as much of a performance mindset right but then there are other practices where we are really really encouraging them to get to the performance mindset right but they have that has really been trained out of them as they come up through the sport Mm -hmm. And uh, Tanya and, and I, our, our assistant coach and I are oftentimes trying to uh, come up with different ways to invoke that. This is, this is the performance. This is the time to flip that performance switch on. Right, right. I mean, it sounds so similar. I mean, there's times where I can sense some of my students get burnt out. You know, maybe it's because they're studying with somebody who's doctor intensity. You're a little bit, I'll admit, admit admittedly so you know at times but um you know i mean sometimes they burn themselves out and i'll just say okay let's take a step back why is it that you fell in love with music in the first place you know do you have do you have a song or a piece of music that inspires you that you just um you know love to play because you love the sound of the tuba you know we can never lose sight of that while we're going through the emotions and you know the hard rigor um, and the investment that it takes to get to be a professional, right, level of anything about why we fell in love with what it is that we do in the first place. Because if you love what you do, it's not like you're, you don't, I don't feel like I'm going to work. It's just what I love right. to do, you know. And 
you know, I can think back, you know, I mean, I grew up in the water being in Michigan, being on a boat every summer. And, um, you know, we live in Sarasota as I played in the Sarasota Orchestra. And we love to go to Siesta Key and Lido Beach. And, you know, I can imagine maybe as a swimmer, maybe they fell in love with the ocean or just being in a friend's pool or, um, you know, in a lake or, you know, I mean, do you ever talk about those, um, uh, those kind of parallels with your students and tell them to just chill out and hang out in the pool or... <laughs> There are times that we we encourage them to find that connection that, and connect with just that. Many of them really have a love for being in the water, as you referenced. Mm -hmm. And so having that connecting with that, reconnecting with that, spending time just floating or underwater. Right. A lot of times, you know, it's not, that's typically not coming coming up during our heavy training time. That might right. come up as you know we're we're getting close to like one of our elite performances hmm. um, to kind of take, take some of the pressure off and maybe chill them out a little bit. Or? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, but then the other thing that, that we will, will con or I'm constantly trying to remind them that we, we can be a sport that focuses on the practice and the games kind of come up and come up, but the focus is the practice. And I'm, right. I'm oftentimes trying to remind them, that we are doing all of the practice for the game. Right. And, you know, we need to have the focus beyond the game and the practice is what leads to that. Right. And if they're more focused on the practice than they are the game, or they, they have a better love for the, the practice and maybe more of almost a fear for the game, then right. it might be better for them to be there. Swimming is a great sport that you don't have to do competitively. Right. And you can do that at a fitness level and, and be a really work out really hard as a swimmer. Right. But that is not what we do as, you know, a member of the ACC, the NCAA, trying to do it at the level that we do it. You have to crave that game. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You said two cool things there. You know, you're talking about like putting that focus onto those fundamentals while the events coming up, you know, and it, it, the event's getting closer to them probably on the calendar. Um, you know, a year or so ago, the Florida Orchestra had a big principal tuba audition and tuba players will sit in an orchestra for 30 years, you know, and until they're, um, they retired and there's only one tuba, you know, an orchestra. So there's only 35 to 40 of these spots in the country, right? So it's a highly, you know, when a job that presents a livable wage, um, comes open, everybody's going after it, you know? So this audition came up and all of my students, man, they were gear, they were, you know, gunning for that job. That was like on their radar for the entire year. And uh, one of my 20, at the time, 20 year old students, you know, one of the youngest people um, in history to win one of those jobs actually won that position. But even on the morning of, you know, a lot of them were here um, at our place crashing the night before. So it was a short drive up to Tampa. And they were out in the in the yard in the morning doing their warm ups together and focusing on their flexibility and um, doing their dynamic studies as a group, you know. And I just, you know, it was kind of like a, a proud teacher moment. Was like, yeah, these kids get what's important uh, even on the day of the event. They were being meticulous about how they started their notes and having that control over every aspect of their playing, you know. And then and then playing. You know, I heard a few of them playing uh, melodies and playing stuff that they like to play to maybe kind of ease their mind or ease their ability. You know, so that was really cool to hear you hear you say that because I can I can totally relate to that. You know, when we're on the road or the stress levels coming up to to keep that that routine alive. You know, absolutely be an integral part of who we are. Yeah. So yeah. As yeah. a matter of fact, I, uh, I I just experienced that we we have three swimmers who are going to the U.S. Open this weekend. Wow. And, uh, okay. And so Where is that at? It's well this year because of the the COVID situation, mm -hmm. they have divided the meet into nine different locations to help wow. keep the size of the meet at each location okay. small. Yeah. And so the one we're going to is in, actually in Sarasota. Wow. Okay. Yep. And and Isabel Trotter is is one of yeah, the yeah. swimmers going. Very cool. But well, um, um, one of the one of the other swimmers that's going. I had wanted them to take this morning off and she really felt like it would help her stay in her routine by coming in this morning. And yep. so I allowed her to do that. And uh, she promised me she would get, get 
to sleep early, get good sleep. Yep. And it, it, it really did help. So yep. yeah, staying in that routine definitely is a big yep. piece of it. Yeah. Keeping that familiarity, you know, um, you know, I, I kind of want to shift. I mean, I, you know, for our viewers here that are, that are going to watch this, um, Doc, or I call you Dr. Andy, Coach Andy, might as well be a doctor. Do you have a doctorate? I do, do not. I, I, I do not. I got my master's degree, but not not my okay. PhD. Well, well, we'll get you one of those honorary ones there. I mean, you, uh, have the great. You, have, you have the accolades to do it. Um, for, for our viewers here um, that are probably watching, um, Coach Andy, you've, you've been at the Olympics. You've been the coach at the last uh, two Olympics in 2012 and 2016. So you've seen... I mean, not only at the U, but on the world stage, you know, the the creme de la creme, you know, I mean, the, the, the top of of the profession, you know, so. A slight, slight correction. I was I was okay. the team manager. Uh, okay. And so was was not a coach. Okay. Uh, certainly am a coach and, and it has impacted my coaching a ton. Sure. Right. But even being there at, at, at that level, though, I mean, you were absolutely you were there and you were a big part of, of those teams success, I would say, um, you know, the I mean, what what do you notice at, at that Olympic professional level? I mean, what are the little differences that you notice between the student athlete and the um, the ability to, to to clench the gold? You know, some of it is what we've what we've talked about, that the, they have that ability to take ownership of all of the little little things that make such a huge impact whether that's stretching or recovery or nutrition some of those things you know they master all of those things right you know certainly it's a lot of hard work but you know one of the things that i noticed um, right away when i was when at one of the training camps i think leading into I believe it was leading up to London is a lot of, a lot of swimmers have a, a really good natural feel for the water. And, you know, if you watch a swimmer swim, especially at a slower speed, you can just see them almost, you know, like massaging the water and really having a feel for the water. But when they go to their fastest level, they get more and more tense and lose some of that feel with the with the most elite with the olympians no matter what speed they're going at they have just a natural feel and flow in the water wow. uh, and and that is you know uh, you think about a hand grabbing the water the more flexible it can be and the, and the more feel it can have the better it's going to hold a substance like water whereas if, if it gets hard and rigid you know it, it's like pushing a rock through the water versus sure. grabbing water with like a parachute. Right. Totally. I mean, that, that, I mean, that, that's so like, you know, performing. Um, it's like, I tell my students, you know, the, think of the best performances that you've maybe sat, sat through and listened and, you know, what, you know, what your takeaway was and nine times out of 10, they all say it just, it was just effortless, you know, to yeah. for, for the performance, you know, or, or the performer made it seem as if they were totally effortless sitting there on stage um, doing whatever it was that they were doing. Even if it was, even if it was the most uh, technical performance or um, maybe the most romantic performance that they've sat through for something that really moved them, they didn't feel like the performer was working that hard, you know, and that, and that's always my message. You know, I, we spend so much time doing fundamentals and drills to, you know, until it becomes muscle memory, you know, the way you do anything is the way you do everything is what I always tell my students, you know, and consistency, you know, is authoritative. When things are authoritative, people pay attention and listen to you, you know, so you're watching like an authoritative performance in the pool, just like we'll listen to an authoritative performer on the stage. It captivates, it, it captivates you, you know, it keeps your attention, it keeps you tuned in to every single note just probably like you know watching michael phelps in the pool you could just stare at that guy's stroke the whole entire time and be like wow that's you know that's a thing of beauty right yeah and you know that's the other piece is someone like him uh you know someone like a katie ledecky some of those people mm -hmm. the other thing they have is they have a switch that allows them to to take their to i would say disregard 
their their body's signals and go beyond limits to get to the wall first. I mean, wow. you know, Phelps, he he wins. And and I think to some degree, you know, you say that consistency is authoritative. I, I love that that quote. Um, you know, one of the things he he learned to win and had very little experience losing. And I think to some degree that was part of his consistency is that when it came to the end of the race, he, he didn't know how to lose. He only knew how to win. And, and he knew what it felt like to win. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, we were talking about that earlier, you know, sometimes turning off that clock, right. is good for your, for your students and your athletes, because they know not only do they know what, like, you know, I talk about with our students, do you know what it just feels like to when, when things are correct? Do you know that feeling of yeah, that was it. Yep. You know, not not this um, self-critical animal. You know, um, being analytical the entire time. But do you just know what playing a great phrase feels like? Do you know what it feels like to play with um, you know very little to no effort? You know, that's when you know that that muscle memory is there. And things are clicking and that work that you put in every morning, you know, like I want my students to think about that stuff in the morning, but then throughout the day, I want them to think about being a musician and turning phrases and turning off that, um, that, uh, you know, self critique. So, and and that was another thing that I would say Phelps was, he was one of the, the most analytical and edgy, well-educated swimmers I've ever been around Mm -hmm. in that, he, he immediately after a race would know if that was it or not. And he right. may have had success when it wasn't it, but he still knew the things he could have done better or the things he didn't hit quite the way that he wanted to hit. Right. And yeah. also a, a quick little side note, his coach, Bob Bowman, is a, a, an avid musician and uh, really, really into the music. Wow process and mm-hmm. um, draws a lot of parallels yep. between music and yep. coaching his athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever read a book uh, called the inner game of tennis? By Dr. No, I haven't. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a, that's a book that a lot of musicians, um, you know, recommend, uh, you know, in, in our inner circle, you know, to, to other musicians to read. Um, but, you know, I mean, there, there are so many parallels, I think just, just between, you know, what it is that we do. And I hope that our listeners are picking up on those, you know, as we draw those out. Um, I kind of want to, I mean, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think a world-class mentor or coach um, looks like from the outside looking in and then from the inside looking out. I don't know who you've worked with or who you um, mentored under um, and who you've been around. I, I had the distinct pleasure to study under some of the absolute best people um, that there are, you know, and I'm so thankful for the mentors that I had, you know, and they're all these, you know, I, I don't think that I teach just like any one of them, but I think that I bring um, a little bit of all of them into my approach and my program, um, you know, and I could probably draw out on a sheet, you know, or list um, some characteristics of each of them. I'm really curious, you know, in the swimming world, what would you say are some of the, the characteristics of a world-class uh, coach and mentor? That's a difficult question. Uh, there are so many different approaches. I, I'm sure there are in your realm as well. Uh, you know, there's the the authoritative, there's the caring, etc. Uh, right. You know, I think probably the the key piece is that they care as much as the people they're working with. They're they're as passionate, if not more so, than the people who they're they're mentoring. And they, they care about them in many ways, hmm. you know, not just that sport performance, but you know, care about them in, as a, a very well-rounded way. Um, and they're able to connect with them and, and help them, help coach them through their journey right. and help get them from point A to point B using the tools that that person will connect with. Right. Yeah. But yeah. but then getting there, I think that it's just there's so many different approaches. One of my one someone who I consider one of my 
favorite and, and most crucial mentors is uh, a coach by the name of Greg Troy, who's been one of our, our, he was the head Olympic coach in 2012 and was the head coach at the University of Florida for a long time. And I always find it so interesting when I have a conversation with him, he, he and I will often ha- oftentimes have similar views of a situation and totally opposite ideas on how to approach it. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and so yeah. I, I just think that's just so prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, we're all trying to get to the same place, aren't we? You're trying to get to the wall, <laughs> you know, we're trying yeah. to get to the end of the phrase or, you know, doing things. And there's, there are different um, pedagogical ideas of how, how to get there, you know? And um, I always find that, you know, really, you know, to be a unique thing um, in the music world, you know, there's, there's so many different approaches to, to learning how to do something, um, you know, and sometimes there's no right or wrong, wrong way to do it. Um, you know, but that, that we help the student get there, you know, and I think also, you know, I mean, sometimes as a, as a, as a uh, professor or a life mentor, I call myself, you know, you end up, um, you know, helping them with things other than music or other than swimming, you know, and you mentioned Isabel Traba, um, her parents are, are actually good friends of mine and um, her father, Fernando and her mother, Betsy, their principal bassoon, the principal flute and the Sarasota orchestra. And um, I think you would, you might touch upon, you know, what it, what it is to be a successful parent, um, because I notice a huge difference in the students that I have that have supportive parents. You know, it's almost just as hard to win a professional job as a tuba player. You know, it might be easier to be a to be an NFL quarterback. You know, so having that parental support behind you, you know, is key. And I notice such a difference in the students that have it and those who don't. Um, and the, the students, you know, whose parents really believe in them. So maybe um, you could talk to us about, um, you know, I'm sure there's some parents that are going to watch this, you know, what, what is it, you know, to be a, you know, to be a, um, you know, a, a, uh, a promotional parent or a, or a supportive parent, you know? I mean, so, so much is dependent on their confidence. And I think that's something, I don't know if it's generational or what, but a lot of them don't just have that innate, confidence and and they need some of that confidence uh, in order to have the success and one of the things that I've learned over the years and one of the things we will tell the parents when when they're living in the house before they get to to college they're unloading pieces on their parents they're unloading some of their their whether it's frustration or discouragement or whatever in little increments when they get to college, it all comes out in one phone call. And, you know, as a parent who my daughter's still in the house, I, I can only imagine that your your first reaction is, you know, well, that's not right. I, I'm going to call the coach. And they're treating you wrong. And I, right. I can totally respect that initial reaction. But it's just so important to, for them to hear on the other end of the line the I understand. I'm sure it's hard, but just remember you're, you're in the middle of a process. You're not at right. the end of a process or right. there, there's something you can gain from this experience right. and go talk to coach and he will help you see the value in the experience that you're going through. It's unique to hear you say that. I just had a student, you know, we probably had a rough, um, I won't dispel any names here, of course, you know, but somebody in the suit, they just had, you know, a rough three to four, maybe almost five weeks of lessons, you know, and it was a little bit of a rut and, and it was, you know, it's, it's their first or second year, you know, in the program. And I think that they talked back home, you know, um, uh, am I doing the right thing? Is this for me? You know, and those parents were right there, you know, you can do it, listen to your teacher, just do what they're asking them to do, you know, and they came and they said, you know, Dr. Tyndall, I'm, I'm going to try to have, you know, a little bit of a different attitude. You know, my mom, my dad told me that to just really dig in and do this. And I thought, wow, you know, if that's, this might've been the pivotal moment might not have been my teaching. It might've been their parenting. Absolutely. It might've been that little bit of extra support at, you know, during that freshman or sophomore year that said, go this way and listen to what that guy's um, telling you to do. And, you know, don't try to synthesize anything that he's saying, just do exactly what they're, what they're doing, what they're telling you to do and trust the process, you know? So I think, you know, it, I'm, I'm so glad that I had um, supportive parents, you know, because the music field is a tough field to be in. It's a tough field to be, um, 
successful in, and you need that backing. You know, you need you need somebody along the way that, that believes in you just as much as yourself, or maybe even more than more than yourself. You know, you know, it kind of helps helps you through those tough periods of learning. You know, and I'm sure I'm sure you deal with it um, on a big level. You know, uh, being in athletics. Yeah, I, there are so many times when I will say to them or to their parents or you know to our coaching staff if only they would have the confidence in themselves that I have in them, you know, and, and so the more they can get that, I think, uh, you know, in general, I think that's, that's key. And, you know, hearing it from your parents, right. uh, it, it's, it's super, yeah. super helpful. And, and then if you look at the other side, if, if the parents do go down that road of, man, this doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound like they're doing the right things for you or, you know, you should be swimming faster or, you know, whatever that can be mm -hmm. so detrimental and totally. can, can really undercut the relationship. Right. Um, and, uh, and yeah. so I, I'm blessed that we have very, a very supportive mm -hmm. parent team yeah. and, uh, and they've really let us do our thing as coaches and they yeah. kind of work in the, in the back, back scenes and, when we go to competitions, they're there to support and provide great energy and otherwise right. they're really supportive. That's good. You know, I, I think that my colleagues at Frost would also say that, you know, I mean, I, I hear my colleagues mention often, you know, how they, they come to know the students' parents, you know, through concerts or they come to visit once or twice a year. And, you know, they, they love, you know, the support system that they see in place and um, just how much, I mean, that it's all part of a package of, of, designing um the musician or the young person you know that we're trying to send out into the world you know um we'll, we'll start to wrap it up here you know i i always um bring this up with students that you know the benefits to studying music um are far greater than if you become um an employee of music or an employer of, of music later on in your life you know where else do you learn to be a problem solver where else do you learn to be a doer? Where else do you learn to be a follower, a leader? Um, you know, I mean, you name, there's so many great, you know, characteristics that um, you kind of take on upon yourself, you know, and you figure some life lessons out along the way in the journey, whether you become a professional musician or not. So I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, are there some things that you, um, you tell your, uh, your athletes? I mean, obviously they're, you know, maybe I'm not as familiar with the career trajectory of being a professional swimmer, but at some point you don't swim for a living when you're 50, right? Absolutely. So, I mean, what are some of the things that you, um, you, you tend to, to try to instill, you know, in, in your students um, through the embodiment of learning how to swim and compete at a high level? You know, I think, first of all, a lot of it is just the appreciation of the opportunities and, um, you know, the, like we talked about at the beginning, the environment that we have here and, and the support that we get from the athletic department and all of the different avenues, just appreciating that opportunity. And as you continue to progress through life, continue to appreciate what you have. Um, another thing that, that we just talked with, with each class about is the, the special opportunity that they have to be part of a great team culture. And, and that's something that for most people, I don't think you get to experience very much in your life is, is to be part of a, a team that's all working together to accomplish something great. Whether you accomplish it or not, being able to, to reflect 10 years later down the road of, man, when, when I was in college on a team, we worked together, we did this, this, and this, we had this struggle, we had this challenge, we overcame it. And it was the, the, one of the most special experiences of my life. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's something that they can, can really need to really cling on to and invest in. Um, you know, there are some things that we don't really have to to point out to them that they're they're going to experience, they all have tremendous time management skills. Even the the ones on the team that don't have our best time management skills, I think probably have some of the best time management skills in the world. Right. Um, 
And then, yeah. uh, you know, the other part is, and I'm sure this is, is prevalent in your realm, is the ability to have defeats and to experience success and learn how to, to have, how to respond to both of those. Right. Yeah. I'm always telling my students, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they look up to you as, as, you know, mentor and a coach and, and, you know, they probably just read our accomplishments on our biographies. Right. But I'm always telling them, man, if you knew all the things that I failed at doing, you know, on my journey to get to where I'm at, you know, um, I mean, I, I have students that have won competitions that I entered in myself when I was a student and I never made it out of the semifinal round and here they are winning those things. I tell them, and this is huge. You gotta, you know, embrace this, you know, I mean, you, you know, you're, you're accomplishing things. And likewise, when my students fail saying, Hey, I've been there, I've failed, you know, and, and it was what I did after that failure that led to my success. And I, I'm sure that you feel the same way. You, you probably failed at more things than you've succeeded at in your career. Um, you know, for sure, and, I, and I'm a I'm a huge. I don't know if you've heard of John Wooden, who was the coach. Absolutely, coach UCLA. UCLA. Yeah, huge fan of his, and I think if I remember right off the top of my head, I think he had been there. I want to say like 15 years before they really started making the NCAA tournament. People don't really see that that side of it. Everyone knows that you know they won 12 in a row and all of those things. Right. But it, it, he if you read his things, he, he had to learn a lot on the way there. And right. You know, right. It's a great example of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, another, you know, I mean, another part of, of being the coach and the professor and everything, you know, that comes into, into our job, you know, of, of getting these students to where we, we hope that they want to be, you know? Sure. So, yeah, well, I'll, I'll wrap this. I, but, I, no, go ahead. I, if I can, I, I do have a couple curiosity sure. questions yeah. for you. Absolutely. Um, how uh, how many people how many tuba players do you have that you that you work with you know right now there's 13 in our studio so i've got nine tuba players and four euphonium players so um the euphonium is like the small tuba um it's pitched more like a trombone um and those are primarily used in, in the military band um or a brass band in, in the united kingdom so um yeah so we, i usually run about anywhere from a dozen to 14 at the University of Miami in, okay. in the studio. Yep. And how does that compare to, to other, other universities? Um, you know, I mean, that, that's pretty standard. You know, I mean, some places are bigger. Um, you know, I've got one of my good friends is the, the tuba professor at the Florida State University. Not supposed to mention, mention our rivals, you know, but his studio, I think it's like 28 to 30. Um, but but they've got a, a much larger school of music and more bands um, than we have. You know, it's kind of suited uh, to around the ensemble needs of each program. You know, so at the at the Frost School, we've got two bands, one orchestra, um, a marching band. You know, so things like that. You know, needing to fill some of those those positions and those roles. So and of course, you know, I mean, we're always trying to take the best musicians. You know, we're a community of musicians at the Frost School. And, and regardless of your major, we're trying to build build that community up. So, and when they're coming in, are they are they pretty locked in to they want to do the marching band or they want to pursue a certain thing or are some of them kind of open and you get to guide them that that way? Yeah, most of them are pretty locked in. You know, I mean that they want to play. You know, they either want to be a euphonium soloist or play in a in a military band, one of the premier bands in Washington, D.C., or tuba players, uh, most, I would say just about all of my tuba players, they come in with the aspiration of wanting to win a, a professional orchestra job or um, become a, a college professor at the university level. Some of my masters um, or doctoral students are there to kind of do finishing uh, type of school um, work, you know, and work, work on that that career. So, yeah, and then it's the pretty, other pretty thing specialized. I the other thing I was thinking as I was, you know, thinking, thinking through this and the similarities and you know, what we do, you know, we're, uh, we are trying to coach many different disciplines in the pool. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are some similarities, a lot of similarities that run through them, but you know, a 50 freestyler can be quite a bit different than a, a 200 flyer it could be quite a bit different than a distance freestyler. Yeah. Uh, how, 
would you be able to coach or, you know, I don't know if you would call it coach uh, to, to mentor other instruments and what's, what's the span of that? How does that work? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, you know, a musician is a musician, right? I mean, we all hear music um, and we all, you know, know certain attributes, um, you know, about the music or uh, what constitutes a great performance. You know, I mean, I can listen to a violinist play and hear different, you know, you know, make, make problems with their, with their time or their rhythm or their pitch or the consistency of the starts of their notes, or maybe their sound is off or, you know, to, to, to my own ears. And I'm always telling my, my play, my, my own students go play for um, other other musicians, you know, go play for somebody who is not a tuba player, you know, because those are the people sitting on the panels hiring you. It's not other tuba players, you know. So, you know, go play for that trombone player, go play for that violinist, go play for the oboe player, um, you know, and and learn to tick everybody's box, you know. So, yeah, I mean, as far as like, am I able to, to coach and work with any other instruments? Absolutely. You know, I've had a, had a lifetime of, of being, you know, being a musician you know and some some of the best lessons that i've ever taken were from non-tuba players you know or playing for um you know i play play for uh, my colleagues sometimes you know some of the best comments in the world come from my colleague craig morris who's the the uh, professor of trumpet you know in the frost school okay. and um you know just hearing his approach on you know maybe what what he hears you know coming out of my bell or or a student's performance you know it's, it's always refreshing so, and we have such a, such a unique roster. Um, I'm so blessed to work with the colleagues that I do at the Frost School. There's such a, a wide array of, of uh, experience and, um, you know, breadth of knowledge there, you know. So we're really blessed to, um, you know, have, have the best of all worlds and students are totally free. There's, and we call it, you know, there, there's no silos at our school. There's nothing holding you within a program. You know, if you want to go experience jazz, you can, or if the jazz players want to experience classical, they can, or, um, you know, any kind of genre of, you know, rock to contemporary to classical, you name it, you know, it's, it's totally open. And we're always encouraging the students to kind of craft their own portfolio you know, while they're there. So now's the time in their life to, to, to experiment and figure it out. That's great. I, like I said, I have a ton of respect. I'm very envious. I, I can't play an oh, instrument, and uh, <laughs> I know you. It spent. I know it, was, it required many hours to get to where you are, but I, I, I'm very envious to of you to be able to to pick up an instrument and hear music the way you do. Oh well, like likewise with the, with you and your program. You know, I mean, I think there's like that ten thousand hour rule. You know, yeah. the um, you know, I think it's Erickson. You know, talks about. You know, you need 10,000 hours of doing the right thing, right, to master something. I tell my students, um, you can be putting in the hours, but if you're doing the wrong thing, you're compounding those hours. You need to put the hours in doing the right thing, you know. So, I mean, likewise, I'm very envious, you know, of, uh, you know, and of watching, you know, how you guys do your thing and always trying to pick up little, little tidbits here and there of how to do what I do a little bit more successfully. So it's been encouraging to, to talk with you. You know, I, I thank you for your time, and and um, it's a pleasure to to be your colleague across the across the patio deck. I guess you just, we could say, but you've got, absolutely, yeah, you've got a great program and a lot of success, and you're well known, um, you know, across across the country and the world. So thank you for being a part of the University of Miami. Thank you. It's been great, and uh, you know, if we're ever playing our music too loud during workout. Feel free to come over and, and tell us to turn it down. Hopefully it's never. <laughs> so. But yeah, thank you so much for the time. This was great. And uh, yeah. we'd love to, would love to continue to stay in, in connection. Great. We will do that. All right. Thanks so much, Coach Andy. And for those of you who are listening with us, thank you for joining. We hope that you, uh, hope that you took a lot away and uh, we'll see you on the next podcast.